Welcome to Arts Career Evolutions by Out of the Arts. Your hosts are Beth and Amy. We will help you bridge the gap between an arts career and a career outside the arts industry. We all have mantras that follow us and allow us to continue through hard times. Last episode, we talked about how important it is to do things for your mental health. And mantras came up as one of those things. Some of my mantras for self-care include perfectionism doesn't exist. Is this good for me is a question that I ask myself all the time. And Christine talked about one that I love and that I'm starting to kind of take on as my own as well as, are you ready to be strong? Are you ready? Sometimes mantras are questions, you know? Sometimes you have to ask yourself and then force yourself to answer. Just like journaling or self-care, what's good for me right now? What do I need? I still love that one. What's good for me? Mm-hmm. I have a few images over my desk that all have inspirational quotes, I guess. One of them is she writes her own rules and inspires others to follow, which I love because I never want people to feel like they can't live authentically. Mm-hmm. That's a big thing for me. Uh, things that live inside my head and, and mantras that live in my head, we all have them, so I'm not going to feel strange about having them living in my head. Uh, two things that I kind of tell myself frequently. One is that I survived grad school, so <laughs> if, I can, if I can do grad school, I can do anything, and anyone who went to grad school with me can appreciate that story. It was Parts of it was great. And parts of it definitely live up to that <laughs> live up to that mantra. <laughs> and the second thing is, do not grow weary of doing good. For those who continue will reap the rewards. And that is super paraphrased. That is not the original quote. I, I think the first, like, five words are the original quote. And then everything else is just how I've interpreted that quote. I think it came from the Bible. I think I heard it in Hillary Clinton speaking once. Mm. She said it, and I was like, damn, yes, queen. <laughs> uh, so, the, and it sticks with me, because I every time I think about giving up, I'm like, what could this be if I don't give up? Which is the runner in me, right? Like, mm-hmm. that that's the me that ran a marathon and said, I'm not dying. Um, I, was, I was definitely dying. Uh, <laughs> so, and I guess runners have very interesting mantras. Uh, If you need a mantra, I encourage you to start running because at some point you will have to give yourself a mantra to decide not to die on the side of the road. (laughs) It's it's a thing and we've all been there. (laughs) You know, like what, what are some things from movies and TV shows that stick with you that are mantras that you've taken on? Because the Are You Ready to Be Strong, actually, Christine got that from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which I love. There's also a running thing in The West Wing, which is one of my favorite shows, where Martin Sheen always says, what's next? 
And that is such a simple little thing, two words, but it can mean so many things in so many different contexts. And I keep that with me all the time too. It's not a mantra per se, but it does help me gain perspective and change my mindset. When I feel like I'm stuck in the weeds, it forces me to look and look ahead. When I feel like I need something to look forward to, it forces me to be creative and get excited about something. Like it can be used in so many different contexts. Do you have anything from like movies or TV that you are like, this is probably supposed to be a tiny little thing, but I'm just going to grasp onto this with a death claw and like just carry it with me for my life. So ADHD Beth will find something, love it desperately for about a month, and then will never remember it again. (laughs) So there's one thing, you know, someone did an interview with Rob Lowe, and I I have him playing in my head where he says, you need to pivot, pivot, and then pivot again. And if if you don't think you need to be ready to pivot, you're going to have to pivot. Um... And and he has this speech, and that's all that I remember about it, and I, and I have ingrained in my head somewhere, and it, I think it came from a podcast, but, I mean, that has stuck with me for probably almost a year, which is pretty long for me. Yeah, yeah that's just it. Same. I mean, ADHD brain is like a sieve in one ear and out the other, and you love it for like 0.4 seconds, and then it burns up and floats away. But when it sticks with you, there's got to be a reason, right? I remember hearing that and being like, hell yeah, Rob Lowe, Uh, which I think I heard it and I was running at the time. So you can imagine me running around the neighborhood being like, fuck yeah, Rob Lowe. Yeah, pivot. You better fucking be ready. Like, uh, I just ran around the neighborhood and I'm sure it came out. So I don't know that I get a ton from movies, but every once in a while I pick something up and I'm just like, yes. Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes things just get you, you know? And I wonder how those writers feel. Like, do those writers ever see their stuff come back up? Like, do you follow someone randomly on Instagram and then they are using your writing as an inspirational quote? How amazing would that be? Trippy. Right. Full circle. Yeah. All of the people. I mean, we have quotes on our Instagram about like creative professions and all of that type of stuff, creative mindset and inspirational quotes. And obviously the majority of them are like super famous people. They know they're being quoted or they wrote a book or something like that. I mean, it's not just like Joe. Do we have Amy Poehler Joe Schmo. Um, Probably in the running. I don't think we've posted we anything should if we yet. Don't. Yeah, but... Um, <laughs> Or Tina Fey, for that matter. Yes. Yeah. Regardless, like, they're still human people, and we're able to learn from their experiences, and that is something that is just so cool. Yeah. So if you're not following us on Instagram or social media, we have a TikTok, we have a Facebook, we have Instagram. Check us out. We post inspirational quotes, and we post content that helps with the goal of helping artists find jobs in new industries for whatever reason that you're looking. 
whether it's temporary or permanent or a long-term, short-term, running in line with your job, whatever. And we really just want to pump you up to do all of the things you want to do all the time. So this week we're talking with Mark Combs. Or you can call him Combs, Comba, Bear, (laughs) any of these. He's got so many nicknames, but by any other name would be a sweet, right? He grew up in West Virginia, worked in the mines, joined the army, got a degree in theater, worked as a comedian, and is now in his going into his second year of law school. Talk about pivots. <laughs> Seriously, major serpentine, but each step of the journey taught him something new to help him grow into his current and future self. When he talks about it, he says he always just followed his bliss. A quote he got from Joseph Campbell. Hey, welcome, Mark, to our podcast. It is so nice to have you. We are excited to talk about your career and the full scope of transitioning from Army life. You were infantry, right? Yes. With my husband, so that's how I know Mark. I have Mark Combs. He was in the infantry with my husband, Josh, and then went to theater school, lived in Chicago for a few years, and is now in law school, and has really made a few large transitions in life, which is amazing to do, and you seem to do them so well, So, which I know it doesn't always feel that way, but... Right, yeah, that's the outside perspective looking in. Uh, Inside, there's a lot of, like, screaming. That's, yes. (laughs) Yes, and like nightly cries or drinking or... Yes, night terrors, night sweats. Yeah, yeah. it's it's rough. <laughs> no, it, it's, it, uh, you know, actually there, there's always just kind of been a little bit of a through line with everything. Uh, I got along well in the Army and part of that was directly because of my sense of humor. I could entertain the guys around me. And then coming to college and trying to figure out like what I wanted to do, I found my way to theater because I enjoyed that entertaining thing. And, you know, I wanted to make people's lives better by, you know, by entertaining them and then leaving the theater and leaving comedy and going back and doing law schools because I wanted to take care of people, just period. That just, and I figured, uh, you know, that was my, my best way forward. So there's, like I said, there's kind of, a, it's, it's a definitely a strange transition. Most people were like, what army theater law? What, what, what are you doing? But I mean, to me, it's, it's always made sense. And there are a lot of people who go from military life to performing arts. This isn't an abstract concept. I mean, I'm just trying to think who's the guy who is in star Wars, who went from the Marines, Adam driver. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even just the arts in general, military life to literature, poetry, because the arts can be very therapeutic and a way to be able to focus after leaving military life and can be can be very helpful, whether you're entertaining yourself or other people. So Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like the main the heart of theater and stuff is, te- is just telling a story and, uh, you know, so much of the stories that we tell, you know, are derived from our like personal experiences. So, I mean, that the, the military or uh, uh, military time at war 
that's a very raw experience. So it kind of like lends itself into like kind of going down that road. From the conversations we've had, and we've kind of talked about this a little bit even before we got started, you are a very mission-driven person. You seem like you're always about how to help. Was that, you know, when you joined the Army, did you join at 18? Was that your mission at that time? Or what would you say your goal was in joining the Army at that time? it's funny like uh, you're like you have this direction at 19 when I went in I I did not have any direction it was was like complete opposite I had I was kind of like bumming around just kind of having a strange life I I ended up working in the coal mines after I left high school and just couldn't couldn't adapt to it it was just um it wasn't good (laughs) and uh I talked to my grandfather, who was a Korean War veteran who had served in the Army, and he just, you know, kind of offered up the idea of, well, you know, maybe you should join the Army. And that should tell you how bad coal mining actually is, is that I left that to join the Army in a time of war, you know. When did you join? In 2006. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Real war. Like- yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, we were we were deep in it by that point. Um, you know, there hadn't any been any like, you know, any calm down stuff. And uh, your husband and I, when we went to Iraq together, that was actually like when things were being stepped up. Uh, you know, the surge yeah. was like some of the hardest fighting of the war. So you don't see yourself necessarily as this miss. Do you see yourself mission driven now? I do, I do, and I think honestly, probably probably the army kind of gave me that mindset of, you know, know what you're going to do, you know, know what your objective is and just, you know, move wholeheartedly forward uh, towards it. I can't say that I always had that, but I think that's probably where it started. And it's probably something I'm pretty grateful for nowadays. Like uh, that I do have, like, I can just kind of zero in on what I want to do and then just kind of make it happen. That's a great skill to have. And me and Josh talk a lot about, you know, you leave the army as infantry and what skills do you have? You have zero applicable skills to anything in the United States. Short of just, hey, you want to go be a mercenary? Yeah, you kind of, you kind of can fill, you know, check boxes for that job. Jobs will take you because you have, you have that military experience. It's very meaningful back home. People you know, appreciate like the the leadership skills you develop, the you know, being on time, things like that. People appreciate that. So you 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 can get jobs and stuff. But like when I came back, there wasn't really anything that I really ex- especially wanted to do that was available to me right out of the army. And when did you get out of the army? I was retired in April of two thousand and nine. Okay. Do you feel like? In that first transition, that there were assumptions or misunderstandings with your training and experience that, you know, people assumed you had certain skills or training or people assumed you didn't have certain skills or training that you may have had? No, I I, I don't think so. I think the thing that I ran into most coming out of the army was just uh as far as like misconceptions go it was like people at that time 
just thought every one of us uh, was like a ticking time bomb. You know, there was like a few movies that came out where people were coming home from Iraq and the slightest little thing would set them off. And, and of course, I'm sure there were examples of that, but like by and large, there's actually no data that links like a, per, a propensity for violence with, with post-traumatic stress disorder. But it was kind of one of those things um, that I kind of ran into a lot when I first got out. People just didn't quite understand that. It's gotten better, but people are more understanding now, I think. I hope. <laughs> I was going to say, are they more understanding or have you just been out longer? So, like, they no longer apply that to you. I don't know. That's a good question. I think that is a good question. I think PTSD is something that is more commonly discussed, but still not very well understood by most. It's something that still requires a lot of awareness and education, I think. Yeah, I would agree with that. So when you left the Army in 2009, did you go straight into school? Did you work for a while? Did you leave there? You know, you mentioned earlier that you were always entertaining other people and you wanted to do that. I, I have definitely heard stories about you entertaining other people. Uh, I think they're all good stories. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but did you did you leave saying, okay, I want to go make people laugh. I'm going to go to school for theater and learn how to do this. Or did you leave not really knowing what your next step was? It was more of the latter. I, uh, when I left the army, I, you know, I was, I was kind of in rough shape from the experiences in, uh, in combat and I didn't, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I mean, of course, like I was being confronted with like that, that general American I idea of like, you gotta have a job, you gotta go get a job, you gotta, you know, do this, gotta get a job. That's what everybody was saying to me. And, uh, but like, you know, in my mind, I, I think even then I was smart enough to understand, like, I don't want to do anything that I'm currently trained to do like anymore. And so when I got back, my cousin Robert was was finishing up his junior year of uh, college. And uh, that fall, he'd be going into his senior year. And we had talked about like when I had first joined about like, you know, I would have access to the uh, GI bill and stuff. So if I, you know, once I got out, if I wanted to, I could, I could go to college. And he kind of reminded me of that conversation. He's like, well, you know, maybe you should do that. Maybe you should go and take the uh, ACT and, and uh, see if you can get in up here. Then your first year of college can be with me and my last year of college. I was like, yeah, you know, that sounds good. So I, I went and took the ACT, only sent the results to WVU, didn't even apply to WVU, just had my ACT results sent directly to them. And it was like less than a month later, I got a, a letter from WVU saying, hey, yeah, you, we've accepted you. Come on up. Still had no idea what I wanted to do. My my cousin Robert was like, I'll help you get registered for classes so he was kind of like walking me through things and he was like, well, you know, what do you like to do? What are you, you know, what are you interested in? Like, I don't, I don't know. It's been a few years since I've been in school. And then I was thinking, I was like, well, you know, I was good at reading maps in the army. So uh, maybe like geography would be cool. And so I actually went up there and uh, started classes, like had like a couple geography classes and then ended up talking to a professor 
one of my professors about becoming a geography major and was actually a ge geography major for my first about year and a half and um, just slowly came to realize like I was going to be like really, really miserable if I had to sit behind a computer and just stare at this computer and, you know, look at terrain details and stuff like all day long. So I have a question about that. What was your intention with a geography major as a career? I think it was mostly just, hey, I, you know, I was, I was good at this when I was in high school. Like I was, you know, good at geography. It was, um, and it was something like was interesting to me. And because at that point I did not know what I wanted to do, I thought maybe if I just followed things that I liked, that I would eventually come up on like a career option or, or something that I could see myself doing. And, you know, that kind of goes back to what we were talking about. Like, I like to entertain people and I like to tell jokes. Like, I found myself like disillusioned with this uh, geography tract. And just somehow, some way, ended up finding out that they had a theater department at WVU. And I was like, I was so miserable in geography that I was like close to just dropping out. And I thought, well, maybe I'll just go talk to the, the theater department first and uh, see what they have to say. Because, I mean, I like telling jokes and I, I like entertaining people. And this seems like about the closest thing to that that I could find here and I'd rather go at least try that first before giving up fully I followed like my instinct on like this is what I like to do and I went over there and I ended up talking to getting an appointment with who would ultimately turn out to be my uh, undergraduate advisor and slash mentor and we talked for about an hour uh, we ended up talking about uh, how much I look like John Candy, and um, and uh, yeah, the, the rest was history. I love that. So it just like felt right. Yeah, it did. It did. That's awesome, and that's great because you followed something you liked and were good at, but found that that wasn't the permanent place for you to be. And so you just went in another direction with something you also liked and were good at, and that happened to fall into place for you. Yes. And that's lucky that you were able to just kind of veer in a new direction and, and realize that, that this, this works. Yeah. Uh, there's this, uh, I mean, being in a theater department and taking like a lot of these classes, I ended up like being turned on to, uh, not sure if you guys are, how familiar you might be with him, but Joseph Campbell, uh, you know, hero with a thousand faces and mm -hmm. stuff, you know, he basically wrote the book on like our storytelling and our mythology, like uh, the, the grand mythos, as he would call it. Um, like one thing, like Joseph Campbell, like one idea that he had was just that you could just follow your bliss. That was like the key to life. Yep. You know, he said, everybody's searching for a meaning of life, but the real purpose is, is just to experience it and how you, you know, do it the best way is to just follow your bliss. So I think like, that's like a perfect example right there is I, you know, when I came through into this new experience, I was still doing things that, that to me made sense and things that I could enjoy and, 
I enjoyed all the things that I learned in geography. It was very fascinating. It's just, I, there's no way I could have done that as a job. It was just, it was just too much. And like, there wasn't really an exciting element out of it. Like, yeah, you could totally get a job fresh out of a four-year geography degree, making $120,000 a year, easily, easily be done. But is it going to be fulfilling? Is it going to be something that you feel drawn to do? I'm sure there's somebody out there that, that is, but it's not Mark Holmes. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, I, I, I'd probably like wreck somebody's office. Like I'm just in there telling jokes instead of like plugging information in on a map. <laughs> like, <laughs> who can't get any work done? Yeah, it would have been bad. Like, yeah. You know. You made the swap. I love that that follow your bliss. That's awesome. So you followed your bliss into theater. You you made a relationship. You said, okay. And, and we talk a lot, me and Amy here, we talk a lot about making relationships and how relationships really influence where you're going and how you're feeling and, and feeling comfortable in new spaces. Before I knew you, I didn't know West Virginia had a theater program. Did not know it even existed. I love that not only they were, they exist, which was new for me, but that they were so open for different kinds of students, like an older student or a student who had a different diverse background, things like that. Theater is just kind of like, you know, one of the most, and it has to be. If a theater, if a group of people doing theater is not an inclusive group of people, it's doomed. And uh, the theater department at, at WVU was just very inclusive and very willing to work with anybody who wanted to come in and put in the work. Prior to getting there, I, you know, I, and like even for the first little bit while I was there, you know, I was still getting over uh, a lot of the stuff from Iraq and still dealing with a lot of trauma. Like uh, I've told people before that uh, when I first got home, there was times like where I just, I would be so worked up that like, I, I could just be at a restaurant ordering, you know, something, you know, the waitress would ask me, you know, what, what would you like to eat? You know? And I, I could not get it out. I couldn't get it out of my mouth. And like, I, my, you know, tears would well up in my eyes and it's just, I, you know, was, I wasn't really finding a lot of great ways to communicate. Um, but I got there to the theater department and everybody was so willing, not only to like talk to you, but also just listen. And, you know, found like, you, you know, wanted to hear about your experiences and uh, was interested in what you could bring to the to the table. And I think that directly comes from, you know, just the collaborative nature of the art. It changed a lot. I healed so much doing uh, theater. Like you mentioned Adam Driver earlier, uh, you know, he has a... Uh, a Shakespeare program where he goes and does Shakespeare stuff with veterans and like Shakespeare is so good because it's so rich and like, you know, full spectrum of, of emotions and you have to really master the language and like, you know, and anytime you're doing that, you, you've got to involve everything that you, the, everything about you, like the actor's tool is his entire body. So like your whole, you're putting your whole body into this and there's such a cathartic release in doing that. Like um, you can see like, I mean, theater isn't therapy, but it can be therapeutic uh, in my mind. I guess in in his, you know, in uh, the way he's using it, yes, it's more of a therapy. But like for me, I was it was therapeutic for me, even though it wasn't a therapy. But yeah, like 
just everybody being willing to 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 listen and want to be uh want to work together and want to be friends and stuff it was just a a great thing and I, that i absolutely needed at at the time well at actors theater louisville they do a program with veterans um and they do classic works so sometimes it's shakespeare sometimes it's greek i think they when i was really researching them they were doing a lot of greek work because mm-hmm. you know the trauma of a soldier is has been happening for thousands of years theater of war um does the same type of thing they travel all around and and they use um it started i think as the oedipus project using oedipus rex as an example of trauma and and helping service people relate and communicate did you anticipate it being therapeutic for you or did it not happen till you got there and then you were like oh shit this is hell didn't Uh, expect that yeah no i didn't i uh <laughs> whatever notions I had about theater going into it were completely opposite of like anything I could have imagined. Uh, my only exposure to theater prior to doing it in college was um, in the second grade, I played a mouse <laughs> in the Rat King's army in the Nutcracker. And, you know, it, it, there's a little bit of foreshadowing there. I remember my mom saying I died the most dramatic death out of any of the mice in the Red King's <laughs> army. So, uh, you know, perhaps this, that was like what should have happened all along was I should have always been there. I guess like the, my high school, none of, none of the high schools I went to had a theater uh, department. I think there was like a theater club at one. I think the only thing that was accurate that I thought before going in and then what you know it turned out to be was I was I kind of figured there'd be a lot of singing and there was you know the musical theater kids they they sang quite a bit which you know <laughs> at times you're like oh that's cool they can really sing and then other times it's like man I wish they'd shut the fuck up but uh <laughs> but god love them uh you know uh, I'm not a musical theater person but, sorry you know, not I'm, sorry <laughs> <laughs> you know I've been in musicals uh it's not pretty uh, when I'm in it, I'm like a, I'm like a Mel Elaine stretch. I'm so bad at singing that you kind of want me to do it just because it's fun. You have a lot of character. Yes. Go into a theater program and then decide to focus on comedy. Because then you moved to Chicago. Was that like you got to your senior year and you were like, okay, I'm I'm going to do the Second City thing? Like, where did that come from? even prior to going to the theater had been, uh, you know, trying my hand at like some open mics okay. and stuff. And comedy's terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Comedy, uh, you know, it's, it's one of the weirdest art forms. It's terrifying because you're up there. It's your, it's your own material every time. And, you know, there's always someone in the crowd looking to shout something at you for whatever reason. Um, like if uh, if a violinist hit a sour note, like you wouldn't have some you know guy pop up and yell something awful at them. But like in comedy, that's a perfectly acceptable thing. Um, Do you but, think it uh, should be acceptable for viol- if a violinist hits a bad key that someone can pop up and be like? Do you think that those should be the same? 
I'm all for equality, so yes. <laughs> Clearly, you've never been in an orchestra rehearsal <laughs> because <laughs> some conductors, man, are really tough. Uh, I like I said, I've been in a few musicals, so I've done my fair share of sits probe, and I've seen some really bad com um, conductors just berate musicians. So, yeah. Uh, no, but so I, I, you know, when I was in, when I was in, in the theater department, I had this great professor, Professor Jules Malarche, who's just this raging Cajun comedian. And he's honestly one of the funniest people I've ever met. And, he, you know, one of the most brilliant. And he and I kind of bonded over comedy. And I actually ended up like my senior year doing a short film. Uh, it was based on Abbott and Costello's Who's On First. I made it about strippers, just to kind of update it instead of being about baseball. <laughs> and I uh, actually convinced him to be in it and make it rain on the strippers. And so uh, it, it was just a lot of fun. The theater the theater department never really did like big com comedies. I mean, there was like, you know, some farces and, and stuff like that. There was, you know, most of it's just straight acting. And I really wanted to, I've always just kind of been drawn to comedy. I think laughter is like the most universal thing there is. And I think it's the best thing for us. Like I've gone through my fair share of just terrible experiences in life. And I think like the one thing I've, I, you know, I've always known to be true is if, you know, you got to be able to find laughter, you got to find a way to, to laugh. And so I wanted to do that because I wanted, I wanted uh, to kind of be patch Adams a, a bit, I guess. And, uh, He'll maybe heal some people with some laughter, bring la more laughter to the world, uh, especially after, you know, my experiences in the war. I've done enough damage, and I, you know, maybe make it a little bit better place by making people laugh instead. So I, that's, that's how I kind of ended up on that route and just kind of kept doing stand up and made our way eventually around to Chicago and had friends that, you know, had made at WVU and stuff that had ends at Second City and different improv places. And uh, my my buddy Josh was kind of running like the two like best kept secrets of, of theater in Chicago. Like it's kind of like the underground theater scene and, and stuff. And it was very like comedy directed. Like Chicago is a, a brilliantly funny place. Like everybody there is funny. Like so I uh, just uh, just kind of naturally melded into that. It's just again, there's that that through line. I was following what made me happy and following my bliss, and and just kept going until I ended up, uh, you know, one of the places I'd always wanted to be. Do you feel like by going to comedy and and pursuing that in Chicago, do you feel like you brought some of that light to the world? To do you do what you accomplished? I hope. I've told some really good jokes <laughs> at one time or another, but that was like one of the reasons why I ended up coming out of comedy was was that realizing that like you know yes I really love doing this I love and being being around the people I'm around and working with the people I'm with, but at the end of the day, like I still wasn't hitting you know making the changes and stuff that I wanted to make and, uh, and being, being, uh, being that force of good that I could be like, I, I saw that. Yeah. You know, I could tell some jokes and cheer people up, you know, maybe entertain them for an evening or 
or whatever it may be, but I just didn't feel like no matter how good the dick joke that I just told was, like, it wasn't, you know, I wasn't, it wasn't feeding starving children in, in uh, you know, in a third world country, you know, it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't shutting down this natural gas pipeline that's going to tear up the environment, you know, it wasn't, you know, doing large scale things. And not that, like, everybody has to do, do large scale things, you know, you can, there's plenty of people that are going to be telling jokes that are going to be, you know, that's exactly where they need to be. But I just, I knew, I knew I was capable of more and I started perceiving like the things that I was doing as being selfish. One of the big things that happened around that time was I had, I had had this dog Lily from the time I got out of the army uh, all the way up to being in Chicago and uh, Lily passed away she had cancer really bad and like even though I was working my butt off and doing okay I guess I was surviving but I wasn't thriving and when it came time to like when Lily got real sick and I needed to be able to to pay for things like I couldn't and uh she had given so much to me and you know for some people some people won't really relate to this some people who have never had a, a dog or, you know, even some people who've had dogs just, you know, maybe didn't exactly have that close of a relationship with them. Like Lily kind of saved my life. She kind of brought me back from the abyss for all that like greatness that she gave me when it came time there at the end. Like I I couldn't afford to, to be there for her. Like I wished I could have. And that was kind of the breaking point. And even though I had gotten to the place that I wanted to be and was doing these things, like I still didn't feel quite fulfilled. And, um, and losing her was just, it was just a straw that broke the camel's back. And, you know, she's a border collie sheepdog. And I thought about it, like it took like just three days, straight days of drinking bourbon and crying. The following day I woke up and I was like, I'm going to be a border collie. I'm going to, I'm going to take care of people and I'm going to keep the wolves at bay. I'm going to be the sheepdog. And here I am. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, damn, she was a good dog. Uh, she would she love, she would love that she could do that for you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she, she was, she was the best and it was just kind of a push in the right direction. And still following the bliss like what turns you on in life that's that's what your bliss is and for me it was making sure other people um you know aren't being taken advantage of aren't being abused have the things that they need you know they're not being uh treated unequally and somebody just kind of watch over and protect and you know that's what where i am now or hopefully what i'm working towards you're in law school now mm -hmm. second year third year third. i'm rising from my first year to my second year oh first to second okay awesome so what type of law do you want to practice do you have any idea yet not to disparage the profession of the law uh but you know so much of what the law is and uh, you know, people who practice it in the law, lawyers, 
so much of it so much of it is geared towards just you know protecting um you know these uh structures within our society and government that just kind of keep the inequality in place mm-hmm. uh whether it's wealth racial whatever um there's a couple different areas that are just, you know, I think that's, you know, the places where you can just kind of do good work and that's like criminal law and um, constitutional law. I mean, uh, that's what I've tried to focus on, uh, focus on. Like, I mean, your first year is just very, you know, basic. So like, I haven't really got to specialize yet, but that's kind of, those two uh, areas are like the, the areas that I'm like moving towards. What skills from the army first and then theater second, what skills from those parts of your life have you been able to apply so far to your law practice thing? Law studying, I guess. Uh, I have never been late. (laughs) There's a lot of guys and girls, you know, I, I didn't miss a single class the first semester. I got sick a couple times, like uh, the uh, second semester. So I ended up having to zoom in. Uh, luckily, like, you know, you, you know, the pandemic, that's one kind of blessing is even if I couldn't make it to class, I could still attend via Zoom. Uh, but like, yeah, uh, there's a lot of great things that you could take. And I think pretty much everybody who's actually studied Um, has a theater degree can take into something like law like text analysis something like all of us have to go through I mean everybody needs to go through that whether you're a lighting designer you're a sound designer you're an actor you know whatever your thing may be like mind that text find what you can find out of it and that's what the law is like you're just looking at all these things and just, you know, what can you find out? What what pieces of it can you find? Because you may read this thing and it just looks like a really long sentence. And you're like, I don't know what the heck that might mean. But if like you really break, get in there and examine it, like how you were taught, like you can pull a lot of stuff out. And that's like one area where I feel like I kind of shine in this last year with, uh, you know, in whenever I get feedback from professors, they're like, you pull a lot out of the text. And I'm like, man, that's text analysis right there. That's, <laughs> that's great. So, but yeah, being on time and... Honestly, auditioning, just the audition practice of having been an actor, you kind of know not to show up looking like a slob, <laughs> like when it's something important, like uh, when you're coming up, coming in for oral arguments, you know, you want to make sure your tie is straight, you want to make sure your suit signs are, you know, you run the lit roller over, you know, you want to be presentable. So like, there's, there's all these things that uh, come in and um, the, you know, ability to work alone or in a group or whatever it is like those are all things that theater like really develops and the collab like going back to what i was saying about the art being very collaborative i mean that's a huge thing or if like you're working on a project or something in like lawyers in real practice you know constantly working together so like having that experience of like you know uh being willing to accept the other person and work with them and work towards an objective like that's a huge thing and then as far as like the army goes the army has just taught me a, no matter how bad it is right now it could be worse oh uh, that's terrible oh that's <laughs> terrible I, I mean i'm not shocked i think josh says something very similar i mean i guess that's good 
Yeah, I mean, no one's shooting at me uh, yet. Maybe if I, you know, get the wrong, representing like the wrong defendant and I I don't get him a verdict that he likes, maybe he'll shoot at me then, but, you know, it wouldn't be the first time. So, uh, yeah, uh, I mean, everything kind of flows into each other. And uh, it's just, um, there's really more than that. The Army teachers, you know, taught me a lot when it came to just the self-discipline of, if you have some, you know, a task at hand to really like lock down, focus on that task and get the job done. And that came in helpful in theater, you know, like I was, there was never a time where I, you know, where, you know, you had to be off book by a certain date and I didn't come in, you know, off book by that time, but like, it really came in handy this last year, you know, in a, in a week, you may read five, 600 pages worth of stuff, you know, and you, you're writing, you know, 20 page briefs and stuff during while all this else is going on and there's all these other things like uh you know the ability to just kind of lock in and um, you know the theater same it's like you know the show must go on so no matter what you got to get this done you got to be able to got to be up there ready to present yeah what would be your piece of advice for someone who was leaving the performing arts and, and looking to make a change? And and I think it's interesting because you talk about not being able to take care of Lily. I think a lot of people leave the performing arts because they're not being paid enough. They can't, they can't keep the life that they need to live or the lifestyle that they would like to live. Absolutely. Artists are, are terribly underpaid. And the arts, no matter what art you practice, the arts are uh, just a super vital thing to our society and culture. People kind of, you know, forget like how often or, you know, how much like theatrical arts or music and stuff, you know, comes into their everyday thing. So, you know, it's, we're, we're really undervalued, but if you're leaving uh, if, you, if, if you're, you're considering leaving, you know, again, just, I would say, make sure you're doing something that turns you on. Make sure you're, do, you're, you're following your bliss. You have a lot of skills that you've uh, acquired from going through this art. Yeah, I keep hitting on, you know, collaborating with other people, working on deadlines, being early, being on time, being in the right clothing, you know, whatever it may be. If you look at it and objectively analyze the things that you've done, you have a lot of skill sets, even if they haven't, don't, you know, even if it's not like it directly applicable. If you are a set painter, you know, you may not have like all the accounting skills that you need, but, you know, there's a lot of things that you had to do otherwise. But again, the biggest uh, uh, thing you can, you can do is just find what turns you on and you'll go whole, wholeheartedly into it if you do. Do you think it seems to me like you have been unafraid to do a little zigging and zagging? And I think that's something that people tend to be afraid of. Um, but you've done it so beautifully in carrying the through line with you from beginning to end. And I hope you continue to do that. Can you give some advice on how you've done that, how you found your bliss? And how you were able to determine, you know, going back to like geography you enjoyed, but it wasn't your bliss. How were you able to determine that and bring it with you? I think we all kind of know what, what turns us on. 
you know, at the end of the day, um, because we're the only person that we spend 24 hours with a day. Uh, so you inherently know what you like. You could be into trees, find a, a route into like a forestry kind of job or preserve, you know, woodland preservation, you know, something like that. You could be into cooking and get some go on onto that path. Like if it if it makes you have like I'm not, you know, I'm not gonna say that like if you if it if it makes you happy and you work at it, like money will come. That's not maybe necessarily the most like factual accurate painting of reality but like there's something to be said along those lines of like you know if, if you really enjoy something and you want to have a career related to that you will find a niche in there somewhere that you can you can exploit but at the end of the day only you know what what you're into and um google you know like get into it get on a subreddit and you know of something that you're into and like chase it down, see, see what's out there, see what's available. And, uh, it might not be the most apparent thing. Like you might say, you know, how can, how can I make a career out of X? Well, you won't know until you try, but at least, you know, X makes you happy. You enjoy doing X. And like I said, it may not be the most monetarily rewarding thing, but there's, you might be able to find a way to do it. You might be able to find find a way to work to it, and you know if you've had to give give up, you know your first love of of theater uh, or any kind of art to get into a career where you could have a little bit more financial stability and, and things like that. Like uh, I hate to see people doing things that absolutely don't make them happy. Like I, I know plenty of of people who are like accountants and you know stuff like that, and they're miserable. And it's like. You know, what made you get into that? I don't know. I fucking hated math. You know, like, what, what, <laughs> why would you do it then? Yeah. Hopefully yeah. I answered your question. Yeah. And then it's funny too, because, you know, then people feel stuck or feel some sort of loyalty or something. And it's like, there are people who are passionate about accounting. There are. And so, so leave it to them, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, there are people who just really dig numbers, really enjoy doing doing that kind of thing. Um, there are people who really enjoy, you know, property law. Uh, I am not one of those people. I learned that this year. Um, but, you know, there's something out there for you. I guarantee you'll find it. You know what you like. Go be about it. As always, thank you for listening. Don't forget to come join the conversation at outofthearts.com and on social media at Out of the Arts. If you like today's podcast, please make sure to subscribe, share, and tune in next time. Arts Career Evolutions podcast was created, written, and produced by Beth Partham and Amy Shake. Because we are super excited to flaunt our awesome transferable skills in any way we can. Speaking of... Audio engineering by Beth Partham and music by Amy Shake. Because as long as we're still paying on our student loans, you better bet we're going to keep using our degrees in the way they were intended. Arts Career Evolutions podcast is copyrighted by Out of the Arts LLC 2021.